Hi, welcome to the Dewey Decimal Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. Now, before we get started today, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to our little podcast here. We're nearing our one-year anniversary, and uh, every month we see our listens, downloads, and uh, overall engagement with you, our listeners, increase, and it's really awesome. So first, thank you very much. We appreciate it, and uh, we love you for loving us, which uh, to that brings us to this month's episode. Um, love. Love. It's, uh, it's a many-splendored thing. It's new. It's exciting. It makes the world go round. It's all you need. It's a crazy little thing. It also stinks. It bites. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm really dating myself with many of these song titles, but I think you get the point. Today, today we're going to talk about love. Now, we, had, we initially planned on doing this episode last month in February to coincide with Valentine's Day, which makes sense. It kind of fits better there. But uh, to be honest, we really weren't, uh, we weren't feeling it <laughs> last month. Uh, love was really the last thing on many of our minds as we kind of struggled to make sense of some of the uncertain, frightening realities that we're all faced with today. And I think uh, you all know what I'm talking about with me <laughs> actually having to say it. Um, but ultimately, that really proved to be foolish thinking, I think. Um, if anything, love is the one thing that we really do re- need right now. Um, it's going to keep us sane. It's going to keep us focused. And uh, really on point amidst today is really uh, insane chaos. Um, if there's one thing we need, is love. At the macro and the micro levels. We need to hold tight, love, and really appreciate the things and the people that mean the most to us right now. More than ever. Be it a partner, a spouse, your cat quiet walk on the Sunday after dinner, your favorite song, your record collection, whatever it is that keeps you going, whatever it is you love, whatever, whomever it is, love it. Just love it. And this may sound really simplistic and naive, and uh, but I really, I, th- I think it's true. Love is going to get us through this craziness right now. Um, love cuts through the darkness. Love wins. And I think this is really, it's best exemplified by the one and only Mr. Radio Rahim and Spike Lee's masterpiece 1989 film do the right thing staring confrontational at the camera radio rahim played by the the late great bill nunn he tells a tale about a new set of rings that adorn his fingers on both hands uh rings that spell out the words love and hate he says let me tell you the story of right hand left hand it's a tale of good and evil hate is with this hand that cain iced his brother love These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this, static. One hand is always fighting the other hand, and the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished, but hold on, stop the presses. The right hand is coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes. Now that's right, yeah, ooh. It's a devastating right and hate is hurt. He's down. Left hand, hate, KO'd by love. Hate KO'd by love. I think that really says it all. Today on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we explore love and appreciation in the library world. First up, Dewey Decibel's senior love correspondent, Tara Dankowski, talks to three sets of librarians who found love thanks to the American Library Association. That's right. Not only is the ALA the association for the library community, we're also expert love connectors. 
And after that, I dive into the I Love My Librarian Awards. It's a uh, award uh, sponsored by the ALA, the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the uh, New York Public Library, and the New York Times. And the award encourages library users to recognize the accomplishments of their favorite librarians. I talked to Siri Feldman. She is the immediate past president of ALA and also the chair of the uh, award selection committee. And uh, also Andrew Bernard. She's one of the uh, winners of the uh, 2016 I Love My Librarian Awards. But first, a word from a sponsor. Show your love and support for the library world with I Love My Librarian swag available at the ALA store. You can find stickers, pens, buttons, bookmarks, all adorned with a recognizable and soon to be iconic, you can heard it here first, uh, I Love My Library logo. And don't forget the uh, Love Monster posters either. Love Monster is a hairy, googly-eyed monster. He's looking for someone to love him just the way he is. Not only is he looking for love, he's also excited to share all the things he loves, including reading. And uh, in this cuddly, cute, original artwork by Love Monster author and illustrator Rachel Bright, he does just that. You can display this poster in your spaces in your library to wa uh, warm your young readers' hearts to open a book. You can find the poster, the I Love My Library logo stuff, and much more at the ALA store. And that's at alastore.ala.org. And don't forget, ALA members, you save 10% off of all purchases. Sometimes you find love when and where you're not even looking for it, in the most unexpected places, like an ALA conference, or even ALA headquarters. Dewey Despel senior love correspondent Tara Dankowski talks to three couples who found themselves in this exact same situation. As Dewey Despel senior love correspondent, I'd be remiss if I didn't wonder, how many librarians are in relationships with other librarians? Or even weirder, could we do a story about librarians who have met and fallen in love at one of the American Library Association's conferences. Can you two tell us where you work and where you're calling from? Yeah, um, I'm Elizabeth Westenberg, and I work at Springville Public Library in a small little town in Utah, Springville, Utah. Um, I'm the senior librarian there, so I manage the librarians and basically all of the floor. My name is Evan Williamson. I'm the Reference Services Supervisor at the Terrebonne Parish Library in Houma, Louisiana. And Elizabeth, can you tell us where and when exactly you met Evan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I met him at ALA 2015 um, in San Francisco in front of a parking garage because I texted him to see if he wanted to get some coffee. That's the easy answer. What's what's the hard answer? How did you guys? How did you have his number? Um, I was drunk. No, <laughs> <laughs> I had some wine, and we were Twitter friends for a while. We had been talking, and I had been flirting, and he had not been flirting. And I was determined to meet him, so I did get his number, and I finally had the guts to text him and see if he wanted to meet up. It was like. I don't know, midnight, 1 a.m. or something like that, babe? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere there. And Evan, you just went to a parking garage? <laughs> like. Well, we were supposed to meet at a Starbucks. Oh. I decided, because she was walking from her hotel and I was walking to mine, I was like, well, I'll see if I can meet her in between. Because the next was a gentleman. Was, I believe she'd had a bad day in the Tenderloin that day. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I decided to walk up and meet her and met her halfway. Was there something particularly romantic about this conference? Was there something in the air? 
No, I um, I've been to a couple, and I just like meeting people that I know online. I have a lot of librarian friends, and he was just on my list of, hey, I want to meet him. But I had also, I don't know, I've been flirting with him for maybe like a year or something online, but. I didn't know if it was reciprocated until we met, and then I was like, oh, I really do like this guy. Just on Twitter? Like, had you guys seen each other's picture, uh-huh. or... Um... Uh, yeah, I, I stalked him. <laughs> so I did see his picture and stuff. I found his Facebook, and but, you know, casually asked him to be my friend, like, months later, not, like, right when I decided I <laughs> thought he was cute. Evan, are, were you okay with this stalking when you understood the depth of this stalking? <laughs> I didn't understand the depths until a little bit later. She explained it. <laughs> no, that, that's, I'm sorry. We, we both followed each other on everything and then just decided to meet up. Uh, I was at ALA because I had just started a new library job. was sort of getting back into the career and the swing of things. So I was there meeting everybody. And she said, hey, you want to meet? And I said, okay. And then she said, hey, I can't. I'm, I'm out with friends. I was like, okay. And then she said, hey, let's have coffee. I was like, okay, we can do that too. Oh, there were nerves involved. Of course, you know you're asking someone out. Um, now you guys are living in different cities. You have been the last two years, right? How did you decide? Yeah, let's date long distance after conference. Well, he actually texted me. Um, we hung out for like two days, and when he was on. Were you on the train or did you get to the airport? I can't remember. I was on the bar going back. Yeah, it was basically like only an hour after he said goodbye, he texted and said he thinks there's something there and he thinks that this could work out. That's cool. Very romantic. Yeah. That is sweet. Then <laughs> we pretty much kept going and have been going about the same speed ever since. Yep. Has it been tricky seeing each other? Has it been expensive? Do you guys spend a lot of time with each other? Um, I watch... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel flights, no. I looked out and I got some vouchers, like, the very first trip that I went to see him, so I didn't have to pay for a flight until about eight months in, and we tried not to go more than eight weeks seeing each other. There were a couple times we were about at 12 weeks, and it was horrible. Oh. But so we tried... What's it like dating another librarian? Is it nerdy all the time? Yes. <laughs> One of I us always has to be right. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like we have to be right, but we have to look up the information and cite it, and it's super <laughs> annoying. <laughs> That's amazing. There's a lot of resource sharing. That's yes. That's what I like to call it. It's not fighting. It's just resource sharing. That's, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. That's the best <laughs> euphemism I've ever heard. Uh, do you two know each other's favorite books and authors? Um, I know he loves Jim Butcher and Kurt Vonnegut, and um, he does a band library podcast, so he reads a lot of the band stuff that I won't read. Oh, cool. <laughs> and she's, she's a diehard Gone with the Wind fan. She's got many, many copies of it. Whoa. <laughs> Threatened. You, you said you would. I said I would, yeah. 
Whatever. <laughs> I saw, so I saw that Elizabeth had tweeted how excited she is. Um, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because you guys have some exciting news. Actually, what's happening with you two at the end of the month? Can you tell us your exciting news? We are going to spend three days in a tiny car together with my brother and move Please Evan from. Oh, okay, sure. No. <laughs> move move Evan from Louisiana to Utah. Yep. To be closer to you. Yep. He will be moving into our guest room for a little while. Oh. So really close. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And so I had seen that Elizabeth. Uh, wrote on Twitter that she was excited to finally um, have someone to watch Game of Thrones with this season. Um, what what other things are you looking forward to um, sharing in terms of like media and experiences and books and all that good stuff? Well, we're pretty avid walkers. Everywhere we've gone, we generally like to wander. So there's a lot of places in Utah to wander around, and I can't wait to mountains with her um, and just sit on the couch and have a normal afternoon we, we haven't gotten a lot of that a week here and a week there is one thing but it'd be nice to have her every day Aww. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet um, I'm looking forward to making him go to programs at the library with me no. <laughs> count you as participation um, but I think we have we share most all the same interests, even if it's movies that we don't agree on, we'll watch them together at least. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we don't really get to sit, we'll watch TV or whatever when we're together, but I think it's just the idea of like, hey, it's Monday night and I'm going to make him watch The Bachelor with me. And I can do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Evan. Um, Evan, do you plan on applying for library jobs in Utah? Yes, I already have. Oh, cool. Several. Awesome. Um, Best of From luck. Gambit, I've worked just about everywhere, so academic or public or however it works out. And um, do you guys plan to go to another conference anytime soon? Will we see you in Chicago? I'll be in Chicago for work, and then if I can convince him, if he doesn't have a job that will pay to send him, I'll make him come with me just for the fun of it. I can, I can recommend some good parking garages in the area. You guys can... <laughs> that would be amazing. Reenact this, like, 1 a.m. This 1 a.m. meetup. What a sweet story. Of... I've, got an episode of, I've got an episode of Arrow queued up, so... Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to go. <laughs> this is... I don't, you know, meet uh, internet stalker um, annual couples all the time, so... Um, but they're, they're, yeah, they're, we, we totally did. Elizabeth and Evan aren't the only librarians who have had to navigate a long distance connection. Amy and Ellen weathered that obstacle, along with the fact that they are both in relationships with other people when they met. Can you introduce yourself and tell me where you work? My name is Amy Call and I work at Queens Public Library in Queens, New York as a general librarian. My name is Ellen McInnes. I work up in the Bronx as a children's librarian at the New York Public Library. And can you take us back to when exactly you two met? Yes, if you'll join us on a trip to yesterday. <laughs> it was 2014 at Simpler Time. 
Um, it was the Vegas Conference, the American Writer Association, um, and we met completely by accident. We had the same mentor for the LGBT RT, um, and I think we were on Twitter, and we were both talking to Sherry, and then started talking to each other. Um, yes, we were talking maybe about the day before we met actually in person at lunch, and there was this moment where we kind of looked at each other, and... Metaphorically, because it was Twitter. <laughs> There was this moment where we just kind of just clinched, right? You know, um, here's another librarian who is interested in, I was in library school at the time, actually, but here is someone who is into the same thing as me. We, um, we're both, we're both non-binary, which means that we don't necessarily identify with the gender that we were assigned at birth. And it, that's kind of uncommon to see in professional cycles of people who are out like that. Um, and that was one of the main reasons. I'm like, Ellen, you need to come meet me at the unconference or the um, uncommon so we can get to know each other. Right. So, Amy, you made the move after lunch. You were, did you tweet? Did you email? We tweeted, um, and I'm like, come, come hang out. Let's hanging out. So at the time, we were both in other relationships, and we didn't actually get together yet because it was just too complicated. Like, we definitely clicked, but it was like, let's be friends right now. Right, and we also live in completely different parts of the country. I'm from Virginia. And I'm from Michigan. Um, and we had no intention of actually seeing each other again. So we were like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and just kept talking after the conference. And, yeah, is that how it escalated? Like, when did you guys actually... Decide to meet up again? Decide to date? When did you break up with, you know, the partners you were so, with? About, about a year later, almost exactly, um, nine months maybe, Ellen and I reconnected because we started watching the same television show together and we started writing fan, we started writing fan fiction together. Um, and at that point, our relationships had kind of fallen apart. And one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no, I'm in love with them, and they live in Virginia? Um, so we reconnected in June of 2015 because we went to a library symposium on yeah, social justice. It was, the, it was a social justice collaboratorium, collaboratorium, something like that. And it was an ALA-sponsored event with the Spectrum Scholars, and we met back up there. Um, and by the time we left, we're like, nope, we're head over heels for each other. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Right. So, so really, the American Library Association has facilitated our relationship. We're very, <laughs> very grateful. Very grateful. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> uh, so how did you both end up in New York? When did that, when did that uh, precipitate? So me, Amy, came first. Um, I was an academic librarian, and I wanted to make the transition back to the public. And at San Francisco ALA, I got interviewed by Queens and ended up a couple of months later accepting a job out here, which was great because Ellen graduated um, from grad school from at Rutgers in December. December 2015, I, I got my MLIS, um, and, you know, I, I applied to many in Virginia, but I could not get anyone to call me back. And then on the whim, I was like, well, Amy is in New York. Maybe I'll apply for the New York Public Library. And lo and behold, they called me back. 
um, and I, I moved up here this past April. It sounds like you guys won the lottery twice. It is, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I just want to stress, I was always the person who's like, no, I need to date for five years, be engaged for two years, and I'm going to have a life plan and two and a half kids and a dog. We were engaged for six months. Um, yeah, so you guys had planned a different wedding, right? What, what, um, oh, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, we were going to get married in October of this year, and we actually are still having a ceremony. But due to political reasons, we wanted to get married early, and there was no doubt in our minds that we wanted to marry. So we went to the courthouse in December, signed some papers. Right, and also due to political reasons, we are uh, thinking of staying in New York a lot longer than we anticipated. Uh, we'd always talked about, at some point, the city was going to price us out, but... Um, you know, Virginia's not really a friendly place for me and Amy. And Michigan's not either. So so being able to work and live in a city where we can be out and open and it's not a problem from our employers is something that is very special and important to both of us. And I just, I really credit all the New York, the New York Public Library, the Queen's Public Library in Brooklyn down there too. Um, I, I, the city has been really great about accepting and loving both of us. That's so crucial. That's so important. Do you two have a lot, it sounds like you two have a lot of similar um, overlap with authors and academic interests and, um, you know, both being non-binary um, and maybe perhaps activism. Um, what, <laughs> yes. What's it like being married to a librarian with, you know, so many common interests? I think one of the greatest things is that we're never bored. Yeah, true. We never, if anyone asks an idle question, we look it up. We look at we get our phones out. Our sources out, ready to go. We're always recommending books to each other, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, I, I'm on a book committee this year with NYCL, and I've been picking up all the books that Amy has been recommending to me because it's, it's been a while since I've been able to read for pleasure. And I, I started reading middle grade novels because Ellen's a children's novel. Uh, Children's librarian, That's all I read. and so all of a sudden I'm I'm reading like the Hammer of Thor and um, <laughs> kids. just kids novels. Yep. How do you keep track of the recommendations you guys give to each other? I yeah, do we? I read. Okay, I use Goodreads too, but I think we just forget and then eventually circle back around. Being yeah. like, can you say I should read this book? Right. Oh, so, um, it was mentioned that um, your library systems and your city has been very supportive. Uh, what What's it like working for what I seem to think is one of the two most well-known libraries in the country, if not the world? Um, these systems are massive and have such a reputation. Right. Uh, NYPL has, I think, 92 branches. And Queens has over Right, it's definitely huge. Um, I'm from a very small town, six thousand people in the goat field is what I say. So I'm, this is this is very culture shock for me. Um, this is also my first full time library job right after I, I got my my master's. Um, and New York has really been, you know, it there, there's that moment of adjusting and realizing that I am in the city. I have watched in movies my entire life. But also just working on the ground with kids in my neighborhood library and just having the opportunity to, like, you know, talk and get to know them and just, like, help shape their lives has been absolutely 
a humbling, amazing experience. I still can't believe I'm here, and I've been here almost a full year. I'm, I've been really thankful for some of the professional um, opportunities we've both had through these systems because there's constant opportunity for both of us at NYPL and Queen to have training and to be on big major committees that are making important decisions about what we're doing for both systems, which is millions and millions of kids. Um, I think Ellen and I have both been really, really touched by our work with our immigrant communities. Um, which also has been spurred more activism between the two of us. Because for me, probably at least 40, if not more, percent of my, my patrons are immigrants. Right. Um, and that's been something I wasn't necessarily exposed to back in Michigan. Right. Um, and circling back to LGBT stuff, um, the moment I, 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 I loved in my field in the moment I got here, but the moment I really fell in love was when I found out that in the summer they did something called an anti prom which was an LGBT-inclusive and friendly party for kids who might not, for whatever reason, feel welcome or comfortable at their own schools. And I went as a kind of chaperone. My manager went to DJ there. Um, I've had a lot of people from the system. Um, and it was just this, this free party that the library put on for the kids. And coming to New York and being able to volunteer at the anti-prom after coming from a, a very different state. You know, I, I cried that night. I cried on Amy that night. And it was just true. I was just like, wow, this is this is where this is where I am right now. This is where I get to be. That's wonderful. It sounds like you two are exactly where you're meant to be. Yeah, we lucked out. I don't know I how it works out. Someone up there shifts us. <laughs> So when you when you do the ceremony later this year, is there going to be any type of book or library tie-in? Yep. Is there? Oh, no. The invitation. I changed the invitation. Tell them what your original Originally, our Save the Date card was going to be one of the old school time stamps um, checkout cards. Oh, cool. But time and monetary constraints made that impossible. Um but I want to play games at the wedding because neither one of us dance. We hate it. <laughs> um, and we're going to have the, like a big geeky board game thing. And I think some of our friends are going to do readings from books. Right. We um, really just want to have a moment for all of the people in our lives who carried us this book, who helped us get to New York and get together, um, to sort of have a moment to, I guess, talk from the heart about what, what they mean, what we mean to them, what they mean to us, um, and I really hope they bring some good things to read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that rambled. No, that was fantastic. Uh, do you have any advice for any other people meeting at one of our conferences for the first time who may have a glimmer in their eyes? And Go for it. <laughs> ask them. Oh, Asking the other person to meet at unconference. I think you you just need to go for it. Um, I was I like I told Ellen at the conference that I had a crush on her, and we did we did kind of have a conversation about what that meant. Um, so it was definitely there. Um, so my biggest advice is just go for it. Like take that leap. It, amazing things can happen if you take that leap. Great. Um, 
what I remember most about Vegas was that I had just gotten over my first breakup of my adult life. Um, I was fresh. I was never going to love again. It was terrible. Um, I almost didn't go. My mom is the one who was like, Ellen, if you do not go to Las Vegas, I am to be very disappointed in you as a mother. Um, <laughs> and so I, I went with my mom, and she is the reason um, I ended up going. And I guess my advice is even, even when it feels like everything is closed down, you know, all your doors are closed, um, it's okay to prop it open again. And it's okay to stick the roll. You can kind of like, you know, shove it in with your shoulder. But it, it will open again. And it might be immediately after. It might be a few years after. But, you know, things happen. And you just got to be open to things happening. You're my favorite thing. Oh! <laughs> Dork. Yes, that's me. That's so great. Dork Dork is how we should end this, I think. Okay. Yes, yes. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's right, librarians get married to other librarians, like Annie and Dan. They've been married for three years and met right here at American Library Association headquarters. I'm Annie Bostrom, and I am an associate editor in adult books at Booklist. I'm Dan Bostrom, and I'm the membership and marketing manager for the Association for Library Service to Children, also known as ALSC. How long have you guys been working here? I've been working here six years. And uh, I started here as an intern in 2008 and have been working full-time at Booklist uh, for six years. And when did you meet each other? Uh, we met each other about six years ago around this time. I think it was late February? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And uh, it was on the bus. Um, we, had, we were riding the same bus route, the 148 which no longer goes the same way that it used to go. It was a beautiful bus route, and they just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I used to get on at the very first stop, um, and along the way, Annie would get on, and we began to see each other quite frequently. We seemed to have the exact same ridership hours. Um, and... Who saw who first? Did you guys notice you were going into the same building? So I remember specifically um, because I sat down next to somebody and I swear I just noticed like his hat or backpack or something and then we got off the bus and suddenly that hat or backpack was standing in the lobby of our building with me and I was like, that's weird because there's not often new people around that at least that you haven't heard of. Um, so ever since, ever after, after that, after that, I uh, started noticing him on the bus all the time. It seemed mutual. Ailey's <laughs> uh, a big enough place where you could not know somebody and, you know, and just see them around and really not know who they are. But it's, uh, but it's also a small place where you would be curious about that person, naturally. And so uh, I think we were both curious about one another without actually saying words <laughs> to each other. That's really impressive. We're, we're in the business of words. <laughs> we are in the business of words, yeah. Maybe not spoken. <laughs> so who finally said something? Um, so I, uh, one day I was like, if he's on the bus tomorrow... I will say hello. <laughs> uh, I will introduce myself. And so then uh, I did, 
once we got to work in the elevator, I said, I'm Annie from Booklist. And uh, Dan says that I actually introduced myself to the elevator buttons, <laughs> but that seems like a technicality. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, was, uh, it was an exciting moment, just scenes, you know, talking to someone who you had seen so many times and were curious about again, uh, and finally sort of made a connection. Yeah. These are like Amelie type intrigues. <laughs> so much, so much has gone on before you guys uttered one word to each other. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. probably true. Uh, when did you guys start dating? Had that had that come up? <laughs> so, so I think we first sort of struck up a friendship, mm-hmm. and you know, again, we continued to see each other on the bus a lot, and it you know it wasn't just to work; it was also on the way home. And um, I sensed that Annie was timing her route in order, <laughs> in order to ride the bus with me, and maybe I was as well. Um, so we had lunch in like late March, uh, maybe early early April. Yeah. And um, things sort of progressed after that, and I think we were eventually dating by. Early May. Yeah, spring. Yeah, spring. Were you guys nervous to date a coworker? Someone you saw every day? So we, because of the work that we do and parts of the building that we work in, we really never see each other and never worked together. Yeah. So there was a, definitely a little bit of like that gossip feeling of like people talking or whatever, but people are really nice around here and... I certainly didn't think that it would ever come up, like, in a, you know, working way. There was never a feeling, I don't think, of, you know, breaking rules, really, or anything yeah. like that. So yeah. we, we our functions at AOA are different enough that it wouldn't have brought up any issues. And if things went south, we could just, like, commute at a different time. <laughs> <laughs> do, yeah, do you guys still commute together? Even? We do. Yeah, yeah we do. Um, Every morning, for sure, and then yeah. sometimes in the evening, like, if one of us stays later or has something going on, maybe not always after work, but, I gotcha. yeah. It's a nice, peaceful reading time. Mm-hmm. Dan, when did you get your library science degree? I graduated in 2009 from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, uh, and right after that, I went to work um, for the school, the same school where I got my uh, library degree. Uh, doing communications work, working on their um, alumni magazine, uh, and doing social media, things like that. And Annie, you got yours in 2015? I finished in 2015. I started in 2012. And uh, I also went to University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, but I did their online program, uh, which was very much encouraged by Dan. And also, I would say I definitely wouldn't have finished if it weren't for Dan, because those were some difficult times of, like, coming home from work and working, and I was feeling pretty sorry for myself a lot of times, and Dan would always tell me that I could do it, so. Aww. Yeah. I I think Ailey's really supportive of of students, especially people that want to get a library science degree, and I think um, that, that also helped. Yeah. All right, Annie, what's Dan's favorite author or genre of book? Ooh. Mm. Dan reads very widely. He, like, reads a lot of different things. Um, And 
I guess I'll say the the author I've seen him read the most recently would be um, the Carl Ove Knosgord books. Um, he's been pretty into those, so but that's sort of like a default because that's a series. But he reads everything: crime, a lot of nonfiction, yeah, soccer books. Nice. Same question for Dan. What does Annie read? I, Annie, um, I will say that Annie reads a lot of memoirs, um, and uh, she reads a lot of contemporary uh, memoirs. I would say. Um, I'm trying to think of a particular book recently that she's really enjoyed. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I know of a book recently that you've absolutely loved. We both really liked um, this book called Short Nights of the Shadow Catcher, um, which was uh, sort of a history of one man who was a famous photographer taking pictures of Native Americans. And it won the Carnegie Medal. It won the Carnegie Medal, that's right. Um, Dan, you have some news to the listeners in Radio Land about your um, your job at ALA. I do, yes. Uh, actually, I will be leaving uh, ALA uh, at the end of February, um, and I have a new position lined up at the Financial Managers Society, so I'll start that um, uh, basically the beginning of March. Um, so I've had six really good years at ALA, and uh, it'll be sad not to um, continue my work here, but uh, I've found a good new challenge, and I'm excited about it. Annie, is it going to be weird not having um, It's going Dan? to be very weird. Um, I'm really excited for him and proud of him, but I am definitely uh, a little bit sad about that. It's, it's such a great story you leave behind, though. It's true, and I'll be there forever. So is it the allure of the ALA, or is it the values of the library profession that seem to be a natural matchmaker? Not to mention, Twitter stalking and bus rides don't seem to hurt. I don't know about you, but after hearing those Love Connection stories, I am definitely ready to hit the next ALA annual conference. It's coming up June 22nd to 27th in Chicago, Illinois. Ask anyone who's been to annual and they can tell you, this is where the library world meets to expand their networks, build knowledge, and improve the profession. And it's honestly, it's good times for everybody. Uh, you'll make connections of all kinds, all kinds. Uh, get the latest news on products, services, technologies, and new books in the exhibit hall. And you'll go back to your library really feeling energized with the tools and ideas you need to help you do your job better. And uh, we have some great speakers lined up this year. Um, joining us in Chicago are Sarah Jessica Parker, Bill and, I, Bill and I, the science guy, authors Colson Whitehead and Matthew Desmond, poet and activist Nikki Giovanni, and many, many more. Um, don't miss us, people, really. Annual is good, good times. And we might have a special Dewey Decibel surprise for you at Annual. Details coming up for that soon, too. Uh, you can find more information and register for the 2017 ALA Annual Conference and Exhibition here in Chicago at alaannual.org. We'll see you there. Each year, ALA honors 10 librarians from across the country with the I Love My Librarian Award, which recognizes librarians for their exceptional contributions to transforming lives and communities through education and lifelong learning. 
And uh, in addition to the honor itself, the uh, the ten winners also take take home a nice five thousand dollar prize at a reception and ceremony held each fall in uh, New York City. And the reception is co-hosted by the Carnegie Corporation of New York, who uh, co-sponsors the award along with the New York Public Library and the New York Times. Now, the uh, the winning librarians are selected from nearly eleven hundred nominations submitted by the public, who uh, each they fill out this long form uh, detailing how their favorite librarians have changed their lives. Um, I've read these forms, and they're, uh, they're, they're really outstanding stories, and they, they're narrowed down to 10, 10 outstanding librarians with 10 outstanding stories. Now, to learn more about the most recent winners of the I Love My Librarian Award, I went straight to the source. First, I, I talked to Sari Feldman. She's the immediate past president of ALA and chair of the award election committee, and she told me what goes into choosing the award winners, the, the process itself. And next, uh, we spoke with Andrea Bernard. She's a librarian at Tyler Memorial Library in Charlemont, Massachusetts, and she was one of this year's award winners. Hey, we're here with uh, Sari Feldman. She's uh, the chair of the selection committee for the I Love My Librarian Award. Sari, thanks for, for talking to Dewey Decibel today. Thank you so much for having me with you. Absolutely. And um, uh, one thing, uh, when I was re doing some research and reading about the I Love My Librarian Award, I'm really struck by how many uh, nominations that you got this year. There's a, more than 1,100 library patrons submitted stories about their librarians and the impact that their librarians have had on their lives. And I'm wondering, with, with that many submissions and that many uh, librarians to choose from, how, how do you go about choosing? How do you go about narrowing, narrowing that down to 10? Like, what exactly are you looking for? What, what's the, what is the selection committee looking for? So um, it is an award uh, recognizing a librarian. So we do um, verify that people have a master's degree from a program accredited by the American Library Association or uh, one that is accredited for school media. So, you know, that does winnow some people out. And we also um, want to make sure that somebody is currently working in a public library or at a college and university or a K-12 school. So again, that's another um, very specific criteria. And then, um, you know, there are some kind of pre-screening around the accomplishments of somebody. You know, uh, I think that if you looked at last year's winners, you would see a wide range of the kinds of accomplishments. So it could be anything from a personal commitment to a customer of the profession, great service delivery, a really innovative project, some specific outreach, um, just uh, leading in the field. And we do, we are able to focus in on, um, you know, what makes this remarkable emotional response for the nominator. And it does vary greatly, and it's such a privilege to have read these. Mm -hmm. Now, with, with that many um, uh, entries, first I should ask, how many people are on the, the selection committee besides yourself? So it is a fairly um, small selection committee. Um, the immediate past president, myself, um, and then Felton Thomas, who was the president of the Public Library Association right now, Leslie Preddy, the past president of the American Association of School Librarians, and Ann Campion-Riley, the past president of the Association of College and Research Libraries. 
Um, so it does bring in the public school and college and university perspective. And the, the awards are actually um, distributed among those three specific types of libraries. Okay. Now, with 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 such a, a small selection committee, how long does it take you to um, to go through all the nominations and and actually um, choose the winners? So the able staff at ALA does a little pre-screening for us. So we're looking at nominations that make the minimum qualifications to be nominated, and that helps. And then um, we did have um, I, I want to say um, I want to say about a month. We were a pretty a collegial group in the sense that uh, certain nominations stood out for everyone, and that made it a lot easier. And then, uh, you know, there were a little bit of trade-offs when it came to narrowing down the last couple, but, boy, we were very much in sync about oh, the nominations. Awesome. awesome. Now, now, now to that, um, uh, uh, for for these um, upcoming set of winners, the past the, the, these new ten winners, um, uh, we're going to be talking with Andrea Bernard from Tyler Memorial Library in Massachusetts and later on in the segment. Um, and her story was 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 incredible. Are there any other um, uh, stories that particularly stuck out to you uh, amongst this group? Well, definitely. So one for me was Roosevelt Weeks at the Houston Public Library System. You know, it's such a powerful story of um, kind of uh, modeling the way for his staff. So he is a tremendous leader, but the way he leads is by working side by side with people on his team and in his library to model great library service. And that was recognized by his nominator. Um, I think uh, another uh, strong example for me was Olga Cardenas, I, I believe is how you say her name. And she really um, delivered an amazing outreach strategy through her library and reached out to a local nursery, uh, plant nursery, to help employees understand the importance of reading to children and then to get their families to start using the library. You know, what a, what a great story. And uh, another one that I'll just, I just want to um, call out as well is uh, Laya Hillman from the San Francisco Public Library who started the Charlie Cart Program, which provides tools and resources to help Children make healthy food choices. And then uh, finally, Sherry Ginsburg from the Hillside Education Center. And what a powerful story because she works at a very special uh, therapeutic residential and day school that offers individualized learning for children and was able to take almost a non-existent library program and build it into something that really supports learning among the children at this special school. So as you can see, there's such a variety of experiences. Um, another one is Tabitha Farney at the University of Colorado, really taking advantage of new tools for research and um, data analysis and helping them to helping to embed that into the 
um, kind of a research-driven work of faculty, students, and staff, and has been a game changer, and that was called out by her nominator. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to definitely want to tell of our listeners to um if if you can go to I love my libraries or I love libraries.org and you can read all of the um nominating forms for all 10 of the winners and the stories like you if said. Having they're... a bad day at work. <laughs> it's a great pick me up. Absolutely. Yeah, they're <laughs> very very inspiring stories and yeah, they, right. they they will definitely pick you up. Sari, thanks so much for for talking to Dewey Decimal today and thanks for all your work with I love my librarian award. You're very welcome. And again, thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, Andrea, congratulations on winning the I Love My Librarian Award this year, or at least one of being one of the winners. Um, that's great. I want to know, when, uh, when did you um, find out and what were your initial thoughts upon hearing that you had uh, won? So I found out at the end of October the president of the American Library Association called me on a Sunday morning, and I almost didn't answer the call because I thought it was going to be a telemarketer. Mm-hmm. And when I picked up and she said who she was, um, Julie Tadero, and told me that I had won the award, I was completely stunned. I just went silent hmm. um, because I work in a very small library, a very small rural library in western Massachusetts, and and um, although uh, this is a second career for me, I'm a very young librarian. I've only been a librarian for three years. So I was completely shocked by that and um, deeply honored. Oh, awesome. Now, um, I was looking through your, your nomination form and reading all the, the wonderful words that the, uh, that, uh, that, that went in with your nomination. You were particularly, you were, you were nominated by a gentleman named Stephen Ferguson. And it sounds like you two had a very unique, um, patron librarian relationship. Can you, can you talk a bit more about that? Sure. So, so at the end of last year, Steve had surgery and, he was housebound for three or four months, and so I delivered books to him on a weekly basis uh, to his home. And he would call me and tell me that he was ready for more books, and I would pick out books that I was pretty sure he would enjoy reading and um, and get them to his home. And so that is that is really how this all got started Uh, and it was just an amazing experience and winning the award was this great pay it forward I think on his behalf um, writing the nomination um, and um, and then seeing it through so that was really amazing and Steve comes in to the library every week. Um, he's a regular here and just a voracious reader. So it was great to be able to help him through his recovery. Oh, excellent. And one thing that he does, he, he really stresses in his nomination of you for the award, is that you um, really renewed his love of reading and his love of libraries. And it seems like you had this kind of a ripple effect throughout Tyler Memorial Library, the, the entire library, um, really um, breathing new new life, bringing um, the library into the, the into modern era like you um, 
you bought a lot of new public access computers or in the process of automating the library. And in particular, there's, uh, there was one program that I was really, I think was interesting, was the Tyler Tech program. Um, can, you, can you tell our listeners a bit about that? Sure. So one of the things that I really hope to be able to do is engage the kids in our community with, um, with science, technology, engineering, the arts and math, so STEAM. And so I started the Tyler Tech program, which is a, a STEAM program. And last year we had a variety of programs for kids um, it ages, say, kindergarten um, through high school, and then also a program for kids getting ready to attend college. And so we really worked on having different experiences, so 3D printing, um, having another local um, center that's focused on the environment and biodiversity come in with small animals so the children could have an experience with them as well. And so really just being engaged in, in science and the, and the arts. And we're looking forward to our second summer, which is upcoming, and this summer I'm hoping actually to run a week-long program uh, focused on on circuits and understanding circuits so that the kids can come in every day and have a, a really continuous experience. And it's something that I'm excited about and hope that everybody in the community will get excited about with me. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it looks like, uh, sounds like you also, you're, you're also reaching, reaching out to the adult population as well, your adult patrons with your Sunday series. Can you tell our, our readers a bit, about, our listeners, I'm sorry, a bit about that? Sure. So the Sunday series really started because Charlemont, where the library is located, is a very small community of about 1,300 people. And our library also serves a neighboring town um, called Holly. And um, Holly is one of the smallest towns in Massachusetts with, with only 300 residents. And so we serve these two communities, and there aren't very many places for people to gather, especially in the winter when everybody's just trying to um, to get through cold, dark days. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to offer the library as a as a hub and as a gathering place, a place for people to connect and maybe learn some new skills and share the information that they already have. So that's how the Sunday series got got started. And usually what I do is reach out to um, local and regional experts in various areas. So we've done um, wool felting. We've had um, nutrition and cooking classes. Um, we're going to have a fly tying workshop in a few weeks so people can learn about fly fishing and fly tying. Um, I'm trying to think of other things we've done with the adults. It's been a wide variety of, of activities focused on arts and health and wellness. And it's a way to, for the library to become a community center and really reach out to people and draw them in. So that's been a lot of fun. I open the library on Sunday afternoons once a month through the winter so that we can have this time together. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's one thing that Stephen really stresses is how you've really transformed the library. As as he says, uh, you've transformed it into a vibrant center, not just for learning, but for social interaction. It seems like the community really needed that, and you, you filled a, um, a really important void in both the library 
Asbury and, and uh, the community itself. So that's that's awesome. Um, now looking forward, I know it sounds like you have a lot on your plate already, but do you have uh, what do you have planned for the future at Tyler Memorial? So I want to keep the Sunday series going. I want to um, continue to grow and expand Tyler Tech. Um, that's that's uppermost um, for me in terms of programming, and then in terms of the library. Once we're, we're networked, I'm hoping that um, we'll be able to look ahead and really do some strategic planning and think about where the library is going in the in the next five to ten years, and to do that with a whole community. So, um, so a lot will depend on what the patrons are really looking for and ask for. So that's my road at, at this point is really to. Um, to automate the library, make sure that we have all of those services available, and then to take it from there. Currently located in a really small space, we share space with the town hall, um, which is wonderful. Um, and so I'm hoping that the patrons will help me look at what we have and how we can use it and maximize it. Oh, excellent. Well, yeah, it sounds like you have a, a, a lot of work ahead of you, and also you're building on some incredible things that have happened already. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much, and this is a congratulations once on the, again on the uh, being one of the winners to the I Love My Librarian Award. Yeah, so I went to New York, actually, um, uh, at the end of November, November 30th, for the award. And that was also a great experience because – I got to meet the other librarians who were also winners, and all of them are doing amazing things. And so it was so much fun to connect with other people who are excited and engaged in their libraries and looking at all of the different ways that I can continue to, you know, to grow and um, move this library forward. So that was a really great experience. And... Um, the award itself keeps ha having tremendous ripple effects, so that's been a lot of fun, too. Oh, excellent. Well, yeah, once again, congratulations, and um, thanks so much for, for calling in and talking to Dewey Decibel. And once again, uh, this is, we're talking with Andrea Bernard from Tyler Memorial Library in Charlemont, Massachusetts. Thanks again, Andrea. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. You know, I... Uh, I needed that. I think I needed to hear those stories. I think we all did. Uh, we're going to be okay. I certainly hope we're going to be okay. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, be strong, have faith, and uh, love. Love each other. Uh, join us in a couple weeks for a new episode that celebrates Women's History Month. And we have interviews with Soccer Hall of Famer and uh, ESPN reporter and analyst uh, Julie Foudy. And uh, an interview with author and uh, booklist editor Donna Seaman and more. And as always, visit us on Facebook and Twitter uh, for more Dewey Decimal action. You can uh, leave us a message if you want. Leave us a note. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to hear, who you want to hear from. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And uh, if you're an iTunes user, please give us a positive rating. It really helps our visibility in uh, our ranking in this vast sea of podcasts. So please help us. <laughs> Again, I'm Phil Morehart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this has been the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Oh.